Christina Cho, and this is Theme the Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing women and other underrepresented minorities in the fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts, or STEAM, and highlight the brilliant work they do and talk about the ways we can make STEAM truly more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. Today, we're going to be talking about social capital, the thing that Project Steamed is all about. Social capital is defined as the network of people that help you navigate and thrive in your specific field of interest. It's literally who you know. Your network can inform you about social etiquette, expectations, and accepted behaviors of the field that you're in. After all, each STEAM field kind of has its own culture, and being able to integrate into that culture can impact your success. Then there's the emotional and psychological support your network can provide. Things can get real rough during your education and training and as you climb up the ladder at work. So having friends and colleagues to help you get through those rough times is really important. Also, your network can provide physical resources, like a place to stay when you move to a new city or are traveling for an interview, or in my case, a place to do laundry and have a home-cooked meal once a week. Your network, or social capital, can be a mix of different people with different roles. Friends, collaborators, and colleagues are important, but so are mentors and sponsors. How you choose the people you put into your network and how you build your network or your approach may look a little different depending on your personality and comfort level, but a little guidance and know-how may help you build your network with a bit more ease. So today, I'll be talking to two leaders who know a thing or two about networking And they will share their experiences and some tips and tricks to help you build your social capital. My guests today are Drs. Anita Pepper and Theoni Anastasiadis. Dr. Theoni Anastasiadis is the founder and chief innovation officer of Alterna, the world's first transfer RNA platform company that aims to understand tRNA biology and pioneer tRNA-based therapeutics to treat human disease. As the CIO of Alterna, Dr. Anastasiadis develops the science team intellectual property, and clinical and business strategy of the company. Dr. Anastasiadis received her Bachelor of Science degree in biology from Haverford College and her doctorate in cell and molecular biology from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. After receiving her PhD, she joined flagship pioneering as an associate and quickly moved up the ladder to the position of principal. At Flagship, she co-founded and co-led the Green Initiative to make Flagship eco-friendlier and more sustainable, and co-led the Flagship Summer Fellowship. In addition to her roles as principal and CIO, she is a business advisory board member of the Harvard Institute for RNA Medicine and a member of the Bioscience and Investor Inclusion Group Diverse Talent Network. She has published several high-impact scientific articles, has over eight published patents, and is a winner of Endpoints News 20 Under 40 and a winner of Boston Business Journal's 40 Under 40. Dr. Anita Pepper is the Executive Director of the Jane Coffin Childs Memorial Fund for Medical Research. The JCC Fund supports research that advances our understanding of the causes, treatments, and cures for human disease. Dr. Pepper obtained her Bachelor of Science in Plant Sciences from Cornell University, her Master's of Science in Molecular Systematics from New York University, and the New York Botanical Garden, and her PhD in Developmental Genetics from the New York University School of Medicine. After obtaining her PhD, Dr. Pepper continued her scientific training as a postdoc at the University of Pennsylvania, where she performed research on Fragile X Syndrome. Upon completion of her postdoctoral training, Dr. Pepper joined the Pew Charitable Trusts, where she started as a senior associate, then ascended the corporate ladder to become the director of Pew Biomedical Programs. As the director, she oversaw all aspects of Pew's biomedical research grant programs, including the Pew Scholars Program, the Pew Stewart Scholars for Cancer Research Program, and the Pew Latin American Fellows Program. After her successful tenure at Pew, Dr. Pepper joined the Wistar Institute to serve as Vice President of Institutional Advancement. As the VP, she developed and implemented strategic funding opportunities, which raised more than $61 million over four years. In addition to being an excellent leader and fundraising strategist, Dr. Pepper is an avid supporter of women in STEAM. While at Worcester, she created the Worcester's Woman in Science program. Anita and Theoni, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you both here. Thank Thank you for having me. You two are literally perfect for today's episode. Both of you work with a ton of people, 
and your roles require excellent communication skills. And I can imagine that your networking skills are just extraordinary. I think our listeners will learn a lot just by hearing your stories and experiences. Also, the two of you have what we consider non-traditional careers for people with STEAM degrees. So, Theoni, can you elaborate a little bit on what you do um, as the CIO of Alterna and as principal of Flagship Pioneer? I'll start by uh, telling you a little bit about what Flagship Pioneering does. So, Flagship Pioneering conceives, builds, and grows uh, new uh, bioplatform companies. And so that might sound like a lot, but if you break it down, we have a systematic mm-hmm. approach to come up with novel breakthrough ideas and technologies and uh, build them into novel bioplatforms. Very cool. As a principal at Flagship Pioneering, I'm part of the origination teams that conceive and then build Mm -hmm. out these companies with a four-stage process that includes exploring a novel uh, idea or uh, biology or technology, and then uh, thinking about building a platform around that. And then part of my role after um, I've conceived of that is to launch what we call a protoco or a seed-funded company so that we can uh, build a lab, assemble a team, and pressure test with um, go-no-go and killer experiments to test out that idea that we had and prove or disprove our hypothesis. And then um, if we've uh, positively proved that this idea has a biological foundation to it, then we will um, uh, create a NUCO or what is the equivalent of a Series A funded company to then grow out that platform (laughs) and build out the team and then eventually build up enough of a company that we can go out and raise a series B, which would enter us into that uh, growth go phase of the company. And so as um, a principal, my role is to uh, have a background in in science as well as entrepreneurship so that I can conceive of this uh, scientific ideas and then go ahead and and make that into a reality. And so my role um, at Alterna, so that's what I did uh, to build Alterna is I ran an exploration back in 2017, mm-hmm. 2018, and then uh, launched uh, the Protoco, which was FL63. And during 2019, assembled a small team of scientists, built out a lab, tested uh, by running the um, R&D, and then built out the IP portfolio for FL63. We were able to scientifically mm-hmm. determine that this idea had legs and then um, launched uh, what is now called Alterna as a Series A funded company in early 2020. And so we've slowly built out the platform. And um, as my role as a principal, I uh, wear many hats um, in the company. Pretty much anytime we don't have a head in the company, I wear the hat. And then once we hire that head, I pass off the hat. (laughs) And so uh, my current role... I play a lot of different um, parts in the company, but as a CIO, I run our innovation team at Alterna, which uh, the -hmm. goal of that is to pursue and expand as many research avenues to bear fruit for the platform to maximize uh, value creation of the platform. Wow, that that is really different from what I think I do at the bench, (laughs) like working in a lab in an academic setting. But it sounds like a very... um, it sounds like a very nice way to synergize innovation in the terms of business and synergize like the creativity of research to kind of create new, basically new industry, new businesses and new corporations. That's really cool. And Anita, can you also take some time to explain what you do as an executive director of the JCC Fund? Sure, be happy to. So the JCC Fund was founded in 1937, and it's been funding scientists, originally in cancer research, all postdoctoral fellowships, um, and some grants. And it's now shifted gears to fund uh, all kind of basic research related to human disease. And my job as executive director is to enhance the fellows program and make sure um, we're doing everything we can for our fellows. Um, I also work to uh, communicate with the board of managers, communicate with the board of scientific advisors, um, both of which are just incredible groups. Um, And then I also get to work on how we can be engaged in issues like DEI, other issues that we as a funder have a role in trying to advance. 
So I know this is something that's come up a lot in conversation with my mentees as well as my colleagues, but a lot of times when we're in academia, we're not taught about all these different career opportunities after we get our degrees. And it's so great to see you guys in very different fields doing excellent work, utilizing your degrees in different ways. So I hope our listeners hearing know that there are many different ways you can use your degrees, many different paths. You just have to find your passion and go for it. So let's start at the beginning, Anita. Who or what inspired you to become a developmental bi biologist? And then what inspired you to switch gears from academia to administration and managing major funding agencies? Yeah, so um, as far as who inspired me, I actually just always grew up loving plants, loving being outdoors. Um, so I would actually say that nature and science is what originally inspired me. Um, I got into molecular systematics. I realized that um, while I loved classifying plants, what I found was fascinating was the form of the plants and how they actually develop. Um, and I was fortunate to be at this joint program and then exposed to um, a group at Skirball who had just formed the developmental genetics program there. So we were team taught as PhD students by a group of developmental geneticists, uh, every model, every kind of historical plus looking forward aspect of what that meant. Um, and I really decided that I wanted something that had a human impact on it. Um, and so I switched into developmental genetics um, and then did my postdoc, as you said, in Fragile X. And, and I loved it. And I love being at the bench. Um, I really enjoy problem solving at the bench. And uh, I don't know that I made a choice specifically to say I was done with the bench, but what I did was I had some conversations with people. Um, in particular, I had a conversation with, um, I was tutoring a biology student and her mom was this incredible branding and marketing executive. And one day after tutoring, I just said to her, hey, could I talk to you about your career? It's fascinating. And we had this incredible conversation about, you know, this is what it looked like and it wasn't a chosen path, but I had never kind of turned down these windows of opportunity. And I said, you know, I'm just not sure that right now my my work and life are, are working the way I want them to. And she said, well, what I learned is you have to make your life work. You don't have to let your life guide your work. You have to let, wait, did I do it right? You have to let your work guide your life. <laughs> Opposite. Yeah. Don't let your work guide yes. your life. <laughs> See, it's still hard for me. Yeah, um, no, I, and I totally, I got you. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, so she said, I have this uh, friend of mine who's chief of staff of this nonprofit, and they're mm. doing a biomedical program. They're bringing it in-house, and um, I would love for you to speak with her. And that's how it started. It wasn't necessarily an intentional decision of I'm going to leave science. It was at that time I was willing to have that conversation mm -hmm. and that conversation led to some opportunities that felt like they were really in line with what I wanted at the moment and I pursued them and um, so that's that's kind of how that shift went. Very cool that's very interesting and what about you Theoni like who or what inspired you to become a cell molecular biologist? Yeah so um Kind of like Anita, I really just fell in love with biology early on. I was just fascinated by how the body worked, how cells worked, uh, and I actually just kept asking questions in class, uh, To and often my uh, high school teacher wasn't able to answer, and then um, after class he, he kind of pulled me aside and tried to clarify that it was not he who did not know the answers, it was that it was all of humanity that didn't know the answer. You know, uh, I guess it was really a, a striking moment for me, because up until now I had this mm -hmm. idea that, every, you know, that if you talk to the right person, everybody knew all of the answers, and the idea that Mm -hmm. There was this entire unknown world of science that was waiting to be discovered and that it was people's whose profession mm -hmm. it was to do that. I immediately figured out, okay, this is definitely what I want to do and how do I, you know, what are the steps to get me there? And so I quickly discovered the path of academia. And so I uh, looked for undergraduates with very strong biology programs and uh, attended 
Haverford College. And then while I was there, I also sought out internship opportunities where I could work at, you know, cutting edge institutions like the NIH or the Bio 21 Institute in Australia when I studied abroad, um, as well as Haverford itself. Um, and uh, then I continued working in a lab at Fox Chase Cancer Center after I graduated and part of my senior year also at Haverford. And then um, knew that the next step was a PhD. I wanted to really be thoughtful about what mm -hmm. uh, area of biology I wanted to take a deeper dive in and get a, a, P, a doctoral degree in. And I uh, quickly uh, narrowed it, in, it into the field of cancer biology. And at the time, there were very few graduate level uh, programs that actually had a specific cancer biology program. And the reason I was attracted mm -hmm. to cancer was twofold. The first is there was a great unmet need and I wanted all of the research uh, that I did to be able to benefit and impact patients. And then I was fascinated by the idea mm -hmm. of cancer because when you're studying cancer, you're you're studying both normal developmental processes, but when they go awry, then mm -hmm. that's when you get cancer. So you almost get a two for one when you're studying these two different instances. So I pursued um, a PhD at the University of Pennsylvania, and it was during that PhD, again, was set on the academic track that um, flagship pioneering uh, came to recruit for their summer fellowship program. And uh, it was actually um, my friends who told me about the seminar and, and were like, oh, you should go to that. It sounds like everything you want to do. It seems like they're doing cutting edge biological research and they're turning it into companies to help patients. So I attended the seminar, mm -hmm. was really blown away and fascinated by this model of really accelerated, uh, really breakthrough type of biology and then getting these new ideas into, you know, turning that into drugs and um, uh, and bringing that to patients. And it felt like a three-month fellowship program over summer felt like a very small kind of detour to just understand what this institution um, did. And when I did the fellowship program, mm -hmm. I was just blown away by the caliber of people at Flagship. It, uh, you know, initially mm -hmm. kind of sounded too good to be true. And when I was there, I was like, wow, this can actually, this is actually a job that exists out there. How does everyone not know and talk about this all the time? Uh, because that seemed like my dream <laughs> job. And then, you know, the added bonus is being in the Boston biotech ecosystem. It's just the type of people that yeah, you are around huge. is mm -hmm. really unlike anything that I had previously experienced. And so I was really honestly hooked. It was one of those things where, um, I had a little bit of an identity crisis because I had been so long set on the academic path, but this just resonated <laughs> so well with yeah. uh, my values that I made the jump and, um, you know, have been there now for five years and still loving it and still learning so much. Yeah. I mean, okay. So this is definitely a recurring theme here. I, so I asked this question pretty much at every episode of this of Steamed where, you know, I go like, what inspired you? How'd you get here? And everyone has basically a person or a group of people in addition to their innate curiosity and you know their their kind of love for you know whether it's the arts or or some kind of science you know they have their innate curiosity and interest but there's always somebody in their life that kind of like encourages them or communicates with them and tells them like, hey, have you considered this? Or there's this opportunity. So this ties in really well with the specific episode about networking and people, the people around you who you know, whether they're friends or a mother of someone you're tutoring, you know, they can really help you find your path and, and uh, you know, help you make decisions about, you know, where you, where you want to be. And so I think that's really cool. And it's such a recurring theme that I think it's important to note that Really, who you surround yourself with can really make an impact on on your career and your future. So in episode two, the guest and I talked about how to land an interview. And one of the things that came up, came up just like it's coming up now, is basically who you know. You know, um, for one of our guests, it was having a scientist next door who worked for a specific you know institution and they were there for the summer and they're like, oh, wait, I want to work there, too. You know, for another guest, it was, you know, a friend and so who like worked for the nonprofit. And so I think the question I want to ask you is, since you already kind of brought it up, like, did you have, you know, mentors or friends who are kind of already in the work um, force that you were interested in that, like, 
helped you, you know, get on that path and help you navigate? Were there people like that in your lives that were like, hey, this is something you should try? I mean, you guys both kind of touched upon it, but I would like for you guys to elaborate a little bit on those people. Sure, um, I can go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I would say that when I decided to leave my postdoc and to pursue this job, um, it, was, it was quite a while ago now, and there really weren't a lot of people that I knew that had made that transition and who could guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really daunting. I remember calling my graduate advisor and telling her that I was doing this and and to no offense to her, but there were tears. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> what did I do wrong? And then, you know, I remember when I went for the interview at the nonprofit, uh, the person who I was interviewing with said, you know, this is administrative. Administration can be boring. And I remember looking at her and saying, have you ever pipetted a hundred well plate eight times over? And I was like, you know, every job has its its boring parts too. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was really hard because I, I felt like I had to convince a lot of people as to what I brought um, and why I wanted to do it. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've got a very uh, loving and wonderful family and great friends. And a lot of that encouragement came personally for me, um, Mm -hmm. not necessarily professionally. Not that everyone wasn't kind and good. It was just they weren't really sure what I was doing. So so that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, experience was actually uh, relatively similar. So as I mentioned, I had never even heard of of this. Um, And in my mind, you know, industry was just one cookie cutter uh, thing that you did not want to go to. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of evil and trying (laughs) to, you know, make money. uh, off like scientific yeah yeah big yeah. pharma so how dare I, I think you it was honestly a pretty <laughs> uninformed uh idea of, of industry and so mm-hmm. when i uh and, and the other nice thing is i got to do a fellowship which is really a, an amazing way of testing mm-hmm. out something without fully committing to it which made it a little less scary and so you know um i want to touch upon the the um, fact that there's really you know two layers of support that at all times you kind of need which is a little a personal and a professional one and so as I mentioned earlier my friends you know really looking out for me pointing out this seminar but throughout um, you know my life especially for large pivotal moments I've had just an unbelievable uh, friend and family support network that have supported me uh, through that and then in terms of professional uh, networks in this particular instance I didn't really know anyone who was uh, in that area and honestly I didn't even know this field Mm. these different differences in industry well enough to even know who I was supposed to be looking for to ask for guidance. And so Mm. some of the first things that I did was um, you know, try to look on LinkedIn. I will just put a plug uh, for them. It's just, it's an incredible tool <laughs> where you can basically figure out, okay, who in your network has, you know, left all these traditional paths uh, like academia consulting. I'd be like the classic ones you kind of hear about and have gone into, you know, industry or venture capital. Um, and so I just sought out a few people who were alumni of, of Penn and reached out to them and then ask them, you know, do you have any guidance? What events should I attend to meet people? Do you know other people I should talk to? You know, what advice do you have for me? And then each person then pointed me to another event where I could meet people or another person I could talk to. And it just kept kind of going where slowly I started to know more Mm. and more people in this area and people who were kind of informing me um, about this area and, you know, how to kind of break into it. And then of course, when I did the fellowship program, I met, you know, you got access to not only everyone at flagship, but everyone, um, in flagships, uh, companies and flagship has, you know, over Mm -hmm. 70 different companies. And as a fellow, you get access to speak to, you know, the CEO of, um, this one company or this other company. So, Uh, very quickly, you can just have what might look like, you know, two to three leads of people that you might know, where it feels like you're kind of looking for scraps. And then soon it can really kind of exponentially amplify. And you can actually build a network relatively fast. Um, You do have to be patient. It's not going to be overnight. Um, But but I think if you put in some work and you're pretty diligent about it, most people really want to help 
others. And I think people usually mm. will take the time because they know they've been helped. And so they want to kind of pay it forward. And it just feels good to, you know, help someone out. And the other thing I'll know is uh, mm. for people who might feel hesitant to reach out, you're just asking a question. And if they don't want to meet with you, they'll just say no. And you just go on to someone else. So it that's, you know, low risk. But a lot of people do want to talk to you because, you know, maybe in five years, you're going to be someone that's going to be their peer that they can then kind of rely on. So there's a lot of, um, mm. of way that you can think through if you are someone that gets you know, shy about reaching out, you have to kind of reframe yeah. your mind and not think I have nothing to offer and who would want to talk to me. You have to think about it as they were helped and now they can pay it forward. And then also in the future, mm -hmm. you might actually have something to offer and then you might be able to reciprocate or yourself help someone who's just entering the air, the, you know, this new industry. So, you know, obviously you, you mentioned this in what you were just saying, Theoni, that building a network does require some work and it does require some kinds of skills. It's not, it's not necessarily innate for a lot of people. And I think, um, you know, some people might have an easier time meeting people and creating new relationships and talking. And uh, as you mentioned, others might find that really challenging and daunting. So, you know, Anita, your job requires, I'm guessing, I can only imagine a ton of networking, right? You're like raising funds, managing projects, you know, and then granting funds, like all of these tasks require talking to a ton of people. And so, um, what do you think is a key feature of someone who is good, quote unquote, at networking? Like, is there a specific set of skills or traits that we should try to develop if we want to be good at creating new connections? Right. It's a great question. And I and it, it's not a simple answer. I think there are a couple parts to it. One is that, you know, most scientists are are introverts. They're, <laughs> They're INJs if you do Myers-Briggs, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm one of those odd EFNJs. And so, you know, I think there is something to when people get energy from being around people and talking to people. But what I think I want to emphasize is that even if you're an introvert, going out and making those connections, and as Theoni said, you know, just having the making the energy and time just to put the ask out there people do want to help you and they want to they want to promote other people or at least you know that's what I've always found throughout my career so I think for me it's been um, I believe in myself I believe in other people I'm kind of an optimist about humanity um, and so <laughs> I kind of look at things like well what do I have to lose by trying yeah. um, and so I think that that's kind of the attitude that I would try and emphasize is important in all of this so like the Wayne Gretzky, I'm doing it right. It's Wayne Gretzky, right? And I'm not a huge hockey person. I think he says like, you don't make any of the shots you don't take. Is that right? That's right. No, that's I just did it. it right. Woo! I am so that's, bad at sports that's references. Totally, and, I, and I see everything as you don't have to decide to change out of academia. You don't have to decide to take that job. But if you don't have the interview, if you don't, you know, land the offer, then you're nowhere that you weren't before. So that's exactly it. So if it's Gretzky, great. <laughs> I think the other one, the other quote I like to I, I like quotes inspirational quotes I put them on my like desktop and people make fun of me all the time because they're <laughs> super cheesy and corny whatever but the one I like is like shoot for the moon even though you miss you'll land amongst the stars from Les Brown and I think I think that's true I mean obviously I'm an extrovert it's like you know clear and but I have a lot of friends and mentees who aren't and they get really nervous about having to just like talk to people and so one of the advice um, that I like to give is if you can't do it in person do it online <laughs> I mean there's the whole new world of internet conversation has happened because of COVID so you know as Sandy was talking about LinkedIn too but there's there's many ways to connect with people virtually now um, even conferences are hybrid and they have little platforms where you can message people um, so yeah you know go out there and take a shot like you know ask people questions and you know as we continue this this kind of thread so Theoni you're also working with a lot of people all the time building teams so there's a lot of different kinds of people that you have to work with so what do you think are you know some some skills that we should learn to help build teams or like, you know, create a team with people you might not normally work with? What do you think helps do that? Well, so there's a, you know, building a team that 
that's a very hard thing to do. So you need, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I think maybe what, um, are you asking for, you know, how to find, how to recruit for a team? Or are you saying like how to build a team that then allows for a lot of people to be able to be comfortable speaking? So that that's a good, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so let's rephrase this. How do you build your squad? So <laughs> it's like building a team sounds more professional, which is true. But I mean, like each person, I think we talked about support networks, which is really what social capital is about, right? So how do you build your squad? How do you go about being like, oh, I kind of want to be friends with this person. I would like to develop a professional relationship or a collegial relationship. Or I just want to like, have this person as my friend so walk into a room what is like something oh, I, you would I do <laughs> like to be like i want you on my squad i want you <laughs> to be my taylor got swift, it, swift it. squad you oh, know like funny. how yeah, do i do that you were talking about building teams like in a company yeah so that's a like, I know. I was just going, like that's a really hard question <laughs> That is that is a that is a question that is yeah, out of the I scope. I was confused about the link that I was like, I'm going to run with it. No, no, no. I thank Sorry, you for clarifying. Yes. Yeah. So there yes, is absolutely. Uh, well, you know, you really. I don't really think about one squad to build. I think of many, many squads that you build that have each a separate purpose, and so. You might have, and then for each of these squads, you have different qualities or expertise or point of view perspectives that you're looking for. So the squad that I might have um, at work, um, like at Flagship or Alterna, might be different than the squad I might have in the broader biotech uh, industry um, system. And that might be different than a squad that I might have for, um, you know, I guess women maybe who are, really into their careers versus a same squad that I would do to kind of uh, relax and rejuvenate. And uh, and so you really need to kind of figure out what are the things that you need and then you build uh, a squad. It's not going to be, you know, when they say it takes a village is because you're not going to have that one you know, narrow team that's going to support you across uh, all of mm. these different facets of life. And so when you're thinking about, you know, professional network, again, in a professional network, you could that you have sub teams, and so I, for example, have uh, a team of people that I um, that are in VC, and I have a sub team within uh, VC that are women specifically in VC because it generally is a male dominated industry. Um, then I have mm. generally people in biotech, and so that includes. Uh, people who are in, you know, commercial real estate that are in, in all the different facets that are in, in law, in um, biotech, that are scientists in biotech. And so those different um, teams just help me get a perspective of where these different pieces of the industry are. And then, of course, when I recruit to build professional teams, when I build companies, these are networking areas that I can go to to get referrals to actually build out mm-hmm. very strong teams. And then, um, and then I'll have, you know, uh, teams that are kind of my support networks at work. And so you have, you know, what people call like work friends. And so those are also people who will know very clearly about the institution or system that you're working in. And so they can either be your support mm-hmm. system when you're having a hard day or to celebrate with you when you're having a great day, but also people who understand yeah. you know, how your particular organization works so that then, um, they can help, mm. you know, mentor you, sponsor you, give you guidance in a way that maybe other people uh, that are in other companies, even though they're in the same industry, might not be able to. And so you really need to have that okay. diverse set of teams to support you because life isn't just okay. you know one facet. It's really multifaceted. Do you, how about you, Anita? Do you have like similar like similar experiences where you have a different set of people for different needs? Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, I have picked up mentors from each stage of my career that Mm -hmm. there are certain aspects of what they bring to our relationship or to um, what I am looking for help with that I reach out to specific people, um, not the whole team at all times. But, you know, I definitely agree. And then I've got incredible colleagues at work um, that I've built over the years. And um, so I, I totally agree. And and then you have people out in the larger community. I have one of these amazing um, networks is this 
group of funders of biomedical research um, called the Health Research Alliance. And they have been amazing because I go there and they're all former PhDs who are now leading funding agencies. And when I go there, it's it's always so reviving and rejuvenating for me because I look around and I say, oh, they're my people. Um, <laughs> but it's really different than, you know, what I might do day to day with my work team or or certainly with my mentor team. So, yeah, I think it is a, a broad array of teams that that really help you. Yeah. So like taking a step outside. So when it comes to your emotional and mental well-being, how important do you think it is to have like a, a support system that isn't necessarily in your field of work, but just like you're just for you, like for your sanity? <laughs> like how how important are they are those people, you think? Yeah. Um, so I think those are for me kind of a priority. Uh, they are really what drives me. I have a family and two kids and they bring me joy and happiness and, you know, aggravation and all the things that come along <laughs> with it. But also, you know, I have an identical twin sister who is chair of immunology. And so the That's two of so us cool. go back and forth. And I'm like, so did you go the right way? Did I go the right way? What's going on here? Um, so I think that I think that for me, um, that aspect aspect of life is critically important. And um, whether it's friends or family or whatever it is, I think that that's a really important component of, of, of how I've done well in, in my career. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a question. Yoni, have you, you? Um, Anita, ever swapped places just for a day? Because uh, I would love to see that. <laughs> oh, it's like the parent trap, but like the department trap, like a chair trap. Like, oh my God, that'd be yeah. so funny. It's, it's you know, to, to be honest, the number of times that one of us is having a hard day and one of us will call the other one and say, hey, you want to take this meeting for me? But we haven't yeah. done it yet. Yeah, yeah, we always threaten. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think that, uh, you know, taking care of yourself is extremely critical. And, you know, a lot of people see it as different than, you know, it's like work-life balance and they're almost like opposing forces. And I think it's very necessary for everyone to have whatever, whether it's people or hobbies, uh, ways to kind of relax and uh, rejuvenate for the work week. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, will keep coming up probably uh, throughout the podcast series is that, you know, um, steam can be very challenging in the sense that it, 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 there's a lot of requirement for focus and drive and you push, push, push. But, you know, if you're empty, if you are burnt out, you're not going to be as good as you can be. And part of building a, a part of your social capital, part of your network is not just to help you, you know, get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and checklist and get through the next step. But it's also to keep you sane <laughs> and healthy and happy so that you can keep going because there will be challenges down the line. And sometimes all you need is someone to like, I mean, for me, especially in grad school, it was someone making me a home cooked meal. Like I lived so far away from my family. Like I was born and raised in Los Angeles and I was in upstate New York for grad school and with a grad school stipend, I went home like once a year. So I, I like missed having like family dinner. You know, laundry was like so expensive. <laughs> and so like once a week I would go to um, this woman's house. Uh, she was just so awesome and kind. And she was like, I know what it's like. Like, let me help you out. And it was just, you know, just this nice, safe place for me to go once a week and have like a warm mom cooked meal and <laughs> do laundry for free. And it, it really was a nice like break for me. It was like outside of work. It was, I never had to talk about work and I just got to be kind of like a kid again, like be taken care of. And, and so, you know, networking isn't just about a professional network. It's about creating a group of people in your life that are going to help you feel full in every chapter and aspect. And so um, I wanted to kind of, change the topic a little bit from just networks in general to mentorship. So there's a lot of studies now that's come out to say that mentor relationships are actually really critical for the retention success and well-being of women and underrepresented minorities in academia. And for me, this has been absolutely true. My very first mentor, Dr. Sherilyn Gordon Burroughs, like she made my career possible, right? She like encouraged me, supported me. I met her as a senior in college 
And I honestly don't think I'd be where I am without her. She like throughout grad school was my, you know, my sound wall, like my, my just, I knew she was this like steadfast advocate for me. And that was such an important um, relationship. And so how about you guys? Like, do you have, I know that some of you are probably also mentors now, but do you have mentors who are, you know, critical in your career and have been, and now as mentors, you know, are you giving, are you paying it forward? Yeah, so I would say that um, I absolutely have mentors. And um, as I said earlier, I've picked them up from each part of my career. Um, some of my scientific advisors have been my biggest proponents that were, you know, part of our review committees for these various awards. And, and we traveled together and we got to know each other because of meetings. And, and they really have become dear friends and, and advocates for me. Um, so I would, I owe them so much and I'm so grateful for them. And um, I absolutely, I love mentoring. I um, take it very seriously. I think that it is our responsibility uh, to mentor and to bring people up with us. And, um, you know, I have mentor, uh, mentees, I guess, who have been with me now since, you know, day one of my first job. And, um, and I stay in touch and every couple of years, it's what's going on? How are you? What can I do? And then I always welcome if somebody reaches out to me, I never say no. And I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I, I <laughs> everyone's going to come to you now. <laughs> I, well, I just I don't because I feel like it doesn't take that much from me and it can give somebody so much. And somebody mm. was kind enough to do that to me. So or for me. So anyway, so that's my take on it. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I have a very similar answer. And I was also debating. I always anytime someone reach out to me, um, I always take the call. And I was just wondering if I should actually be saying that as well. <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. You're already on that. You're, you've already agreed to be on this podcast. You will be on the directory. People will be reaching out. You, it's too late. <laughs> Yeah. So just yeah, say yes. I do think fine. that that's so important. And I can tell you it is there's nothing more rewarding than, uh, you know, taking a call. And sometimes it's just a call and it's nothing more. Uh, sometimes it turns into something, you know, an actual full relationship. But I can tell you there's um, I've taken now over the last you know five years, so many calls of people trying to understand how to get in the industry. And I was just thinking getting into this industry. I, I feel, you know, I randomly got into it and it would have been so great to learn even more. And then, of course, as I mentioned, those few people that I knew when I reached out to them, they were so kind with their time to um, to help me out. And so I know that it's not easy to see into this world from academia. And so any time that I can help someone get a better idea of what the landscape looks like or who to go to or point them in the right direction. I always take the time to do that. And actually, uh, just a couple of months ago, I had lunch with someone who, um, when uh, she was an undergrad, reached out to me to understand more about this world and how to look for a job. And now she had been, you know, four years at this job, was kind of rising up in the ranks and might be someone who, you know, nice. now I'm going to have to, you know, interact or I'll get the pleasure of interacting with. And she reached out to me, you know, to thank me uh, for, for all the help that I gave her. Um, and it, it was just really rewarding. And I think you learn a lot from mentoring. Um, that was just a simple you know, one-time mm -hmm. call, but other times you're actually mentoring someone over time and then getting to see where they yeah. you know, grow and what they end up doing. And then eventually sometimes you know, end up being your peer. It's really, really rewarding um, and something that I, I greatly enjoy. And so circling back to the first part of your question, you know, I don't think anyone's ever made it anywhere without some form of advocate or, or mentor. I will like to highlight the difference yeah. between a mentor yeah. and a sponsor. So uh, those are uh, yes. for, you know, listeners who might not know the difference. A mentor is someone who's really going to, you know, take the time to answer your question, develop you, grow you. And not everyone enjoys doing that. There, but then there are people that are sponsors mm -hmm. who might not do that, but who will be the one who will like advocate for you and who will, you know, push for your promotion yep. and who will introduce you to people or who will, um, when, you know, there's an award or something that comes up that will like nominate you and speak out for you, but they might not be the person when you're meeting with them. That's like, tell me about your day and like, Oh, you're dealing with this. Let me like help you figure yeah. it out. And those people are just as important as mentors because having those people, yeah. they can really help push your career forward. Now, sometimes your mentor is your sponsor and then you're, you know, so lucky and that's wonderful. Your goal. But don't set. like, um, <laughs> uh, you know, discount sponsors because they can actually be 
just as impactful yeah. as mentors. And then the other piece that I'll say is I have had just incredible luck having really great mentors along the years. And sometimes your mentors can actually be, and I don't know if that's what they're called, but they can be your peers. Um, and some people have just experienced different things. And by learning from a different industry or different experience or different perspective, that can actually help guide you and your decision-making or your approach without necessarily needing having a mentor who's someone who's more senior with more experience than you. It could just be someone with equal experience, but just different experience that can be extremely uh, mm. beneficial. So if for some reason you're someone that gets really scared to talk to people who might be, who might seem, you know, very senior, you can also just start by just talking to people that might be, you know, a, like your age who, that might feel more approachable to you again if you're kind of introverted and, and shyer and then work your way up to um, those people or maybe through those peers get to meet um, these more senior people. I actually that's a really that's a really good um, thing that you mentioned sponsors versus mentors. So I was at an event for women in science back when um, I was also at, <laughs> at a pen for my first postdoc and um, I went to this event and you know the the speaker was talking about the differences between mentors mentors and sponsors and how in general, women love being mentors, but they don't necessarily act as sponsors. And that that was kind of an issue with the leaky pipeline was that women will spend a lot of time and energy mentoring other women, um, but they don't necessarily speak up when it's time to say, oh, I want to, you know, vote for this person for, um, you know, promotion or actually I've worked with this person. I think that they're good for their job. And I know this is a little bit out, uh, a little bit out of the scope of the the main point of our conversation, but um, how do you feel about that? That, you know, sometimes women don't necessarily play the role of sponsor, even though they do play the role of mentor. I totally, I mean, I totally agree. And I think for some reason, and I don't want to stereotype, but men feel more comfortable being sponsors than mentors often. And I think this idea of women actually actively promoting women in addition to caring and nurturing and taking care of them, I think is critically important. And I have hired former mentees. I have, you know, ways that you can actually move them along in their career besides advice, I think, to Theoni's point, is is really critically important. Um, and I don't know why we, I, I mean, I, I don't remember very many sponsors in my career early on mm -hmm. um, that has developed later. So I, I don't know why that is, um, but I totally agree with it. Yeah, I think that's something, I mean, hopefully, maybe <laughs> season two, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, for our listeners out there, um, it is really important that you distinguish mentors and sponsors. Um, and so, as they already said, sometimes your mentors will be your sponsors. Awesome. You've just hit the jackpot. But there will be cases where someone might not want to spend every week or month with you having meetings and lunches, but they will go and be like, hey, I know this person. I've worked with them. Uh, they're interviewing and I think they should get the job. And um, don't discount those people just because they're not having lunch with you. <laughs> so, right. And I, I wanted to add just one other thing. Having yeah. read so many review letters. Mm hmm. It's really clear in the review letters as well. And so I think it's really important along these lines. If you are asking a mentor for a reference or a review letter, make sure they know your accomplishments and make sure that it's, you know, they're, they're pointing to the things that will actually get you that position and promote you. Um, it's really important. So that that's a perfect segue. So I wanted to ask, so how, like we kind of talked about how to find a mentor, you know, talking to people, maybe talking to your peers and, you know, then asking someone more senior, but what are some traits that we should be looking for in a mentor? Like we can't, I think it's really important that you don't just like go up to random people, be like, Hey, I need you to be my mentor. I think there's also qualities we should be looking for um, if we want someone to help us and teach us and train us. Right. So what are some qualities and traits we should look for in a mentor? Yeah. So I guess the first thing I will just say is that, um, Finding a mentor is not exactly what you just said, Christina, of like, I want you to be my mentor and then you just go up to them and, and you know, <laughs> hire them for the job. I think it's right. something that's actually, you know, quite hard to get because it's so organic. It's really a relationship that you're building mm. and you need to have mm -hmm. just this bond that kind of forms. And so in terms of what you're looking for, 
You probably want someone that you respect and look up to because that will be the first reason, you know, there's a reason why you want them to be your mentor. So that either they've achieved something mm-hmm. that you think is incredible. Maybe it's the manner by which they're achieving something like their leadership style. There's something about them that you admire, look up to and respect. The next piece is you need uh, that person and yourself to feel like when you're meeting with them, there's just this natural kind of chemistry uh, between you two that it's not kind of uncomfortable and awkward. Uh, I think if it feels forced, it's probably not going to be fruitful. Um, I'm sure maybe there's a a counterexample to that, but I have never, I've always been very comfortable with, with my mentors. And then from that comes trust. And so you also need to, you know, you're being very vulnerable when you're talking to them about whatever issue or pieces of advice. And so you also want to have someone that you feel like is trustworthy. Um, And then, you know, finally, you want to prioritize someone who is like kind of reciprocating in the relationship. So it's someone that you're making time for, but that who is also making time for you. And so once you start actually like checking Mm -hmm. these different items on your list, uh, at this point, if they've checked all of that, it feels to me that um, you'll naturally have this kind of trustworthy, um, beneficial, you know, mutual relationship that forms. And just by nature of that, mm-hmm. you'll end up uh, with like a mentoring relationship. Anita? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with all that. I, I think it's really important that you align uh, to Theoni's point that it's it's an organic alignment with the person mm-hmm. and for me it's really important that somebody's got these incredible leadership skills and communication skills and I see that I'm like oh that's fantastic I want to know how they do that um, so you know you're naturally drawn to what you're kind of looking for but I think it's got to be reciprocal so um, I think that that is a big part of it Um but, you know, it still goes back to this. If you don't put yourself out there and let them know what you're looking for, you're never going to you're never going to find it. So I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. So it's like basically it's like any kind of relationship that you want to last and have an impact on your life. It's it takes effort on both sides. Right. It has to be reciprocal. You can't just be the only person reaching out and constantly begging to meet. You know, they also want to have some kind of interest in you and invest in you. And um, I think that is really important to understand that, um, yes, you want to learn from them, but you also want them to feel like they, you know, they can also learn from you in many ways. And there was actually a study that came out in Nature that found that mentor-mentee relationships are the most impactful and effective when um, the relationship cannot be separated from like cultural and social backgrounds. As in, if you feel like you've had either shared experiences or similar cultures, or in other words, like your mentor feels relatable, then the relationship is actually stronger. Do you think that's that's true? Like that your relationship with your mentee or your mentor is the strongest when you find commonality, whether it's cultural or philosophical or just like lived experiences? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I absolutely think that that's yeah, true. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I uh, definitely agree. Actually, it's funny that you're bringing this up because um, I just wanted to give listeners an opportunity to hear about, you know, maybe that first outreach or when you're like choosing. Sometimes you just see organically people in your environment, but other times, for example, when you're on LinkedIn, you might not uh, have met them in person or really know that much about them. And so when you're reaching out to just learn more about them, that first, you know, piece might feel awkward. And so I was actually going to give as a suggestion to uh, listeners that finding an area of commonality as your kind of nucleating point of the relationship and building out from there is usually something that works really well. And and that can really be, you know, anything. It could be first, you know, oh, I see that you love doing, you know, uh, podcasts for steam and, you know, underrepresented um, uh, people. And you're like, I'm really passionate about that. I would love to connect and talk to you about that. And then you kind of build off of that. But it can be something also like, oh, hey, I noticed we grew up in the same town or, uh, you know, we're uh, Mm. both in the same industry. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your experience has been. And so you can really, you, you almost can always find some kind of nucleation point and starting from that area of relatedness allows you to get that first interaction where it might feel 
easy and not super awkward because you both have an experience that you can talk about and then you can kind of just see how the relationship evolves like if then past that you're kind of like well yeah. I've got nothing else to you know talk about then maybe this is not you know <laughs> the be best thing but sometimes you kind of jump it's a jump off point where you're like well what about this piece and that piece and then you start discovering additional um areas of um shared mutual interest or um and then you know that's how normal relationships just build you just find out more about each other the more you learn the more you like and then um it kind of like goes from there so just as a tip that's some of the times uh if i feel nervous about reaching out uh, i'll try to find that nugget that kind of kicks off the relationship or the discussion and then you can kind of grow from there yeah and alumni networks are super for that too okay yeah so, okay, so this is something that I wanted to touch on a little bit um, because it is, a, it is a project and a podcast that's really trying to help people who have been historically marginalized in STEAM. And so what if, you know, you're the only person at your institute or company that kind of looks and thinks like you? Or like, what if you're culturally and socially isolated? So how, in that case, if you really are the only, like the first, you know, how can you find a mentor or even a network, um, a group of people that can support you and advocate for you, even if you might not have some relatedness to them. Right. So, I mean, my suggestion is that nobody is right now probably the first ever. So, it, it's to Theoni's point. It's how do you how do you identify those similarities in those networks that maybe aren't right in front of you but are within reach. Um, mm. And so, there are a lot of societies right now that have you know sub societies within them um, that are really good starting places to kind of identify. Um, but I think it's making sure that you don't feel isolated and that you are only one um, and you know that there is a community out there it's just identifying them so and sometimes maybe it's even reaching out to people to say do you know this community that I could I'm looking for x y and z mm -hmm. have you do you know anything like that and and more often yeah. than not somebody will totally agree with mm -hmm. everything Anita said the the only thing I'll add is not to underestimate the power of allies and so that's also the other thing is that you know sometimes uh if for some reason it is extremely difficult for you to identify an area of commonality there might be um someone who might not have that shared experience but who wants to advocate for this thing that they have not necessarily experienced and so making sure and i don't know sometimes just by being the only one as you're asking around people will see that you're asking and kind of maybe self-reveal as an ally and try to reach out and, and see, you know, how can they help you even though they might not have experience or be experiencing what you're experiencing. But it's this idea of kind of belonging and uh, creating an environment where people with different um, uh, experiences can actually still thrive. And so maybe then your commonality is that you both want this particular unique you know um set to just be thriving in this environment and it's like promoting a sense of belonging and making sure that you're not isolated and that's your the thing that you have in common even though the other items aren't and then i'm sure as you start getting to know that person there will likely be something else that you do have in common and then they might help <laughs> identify additional allies and then build this, um, you know, area of like safety, basically, where you do feel like you belong and you're not quite as isolated. Yeah. I mean, I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I have had mentees who, you know, for example, are like the only person of color in their department. And they feel like, you know, that they're representing everybody that's in their background or ethnic background or cultural background and they feel a lot of pressure um and at the same time they don't necessarily see a faculty member or a leader who are like them and so you know this is an issue obviously and i know a lot of institutions are trying and you know this so this little little part on my i'm going to stand on my soapbox right now this is for institutions and programs and companies okay if you truly want to diversify your pool of trainees junior faculty students and employees you also need to diversify your pool of leaders as well if you want more students and postdocs and residents of color you need to have more faculty of color if you want employees who are lgbtqia you need managers and team leaders who are also lgbtqia i think that 
diversity is something you also need at the top, not at just the entry level. And I really wanted to put this little plug in here <laughs> because we're talking about networking and building relationships. And a lot of times, you know, um, I think this is also something we talked about in a previous episode. A lot of people in STEAM are introverted. Um, a lot of people in STEAM wouldn't know how to go up to a random stranger in their mind and be like, hey, I, I want you to help me. You know, it might be really hard for them. And so they try to look for people that kind of remind them of themselves, whether it's personality or culture or whatever it is. And so, you know, um, for our listeners out there, if you feel like very alone, in whichever room you're in. Um, as Theoni said, there are allies, there are people who may not have your lived experience, but want to still sponsor you and help you shine and grow and elevate. And also, you know, now we have this awesome network on Steam. <laughs> and, you know, we'll have this directory and hopefully you can get on there and find people um, that you might relate to a little bit better and start building your network there. And so um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you guys if you had any last words of encouragement or advice for our listeners on how they can build their social capital. So I'll start. I guess my last words of advice are don't be afraid. Um, and if you are, it just think of the energy that you waste being afraid versus just getting that email out there. So if you think about it efficiency wise, maybe that's the best way to approach it. Um, but the more that you reach out to people, especially as you're going through transitions and thinking about what you really want to do, I think the more information you have and the better prepared you are to make these big leaps that look so scary but in the end they're actually really exciting and um, I encourage everybody to do so so that's very well said it's hard to follow that I think um, maybe <laughs> the, the other thing that I'll, I'll do is or maybe add to that is uh, not to wait until you need to be starting mm. these conversations so one of the things that's uh, hard to do but something that I try to push myself to do is to just pretty regularly, um, you know, try to meet someone new and you can set a goal for yourself. Maybe it's one person a month, um, you know, and you can set whatever goal you're kind of comfortable to and maybe then, you know, um, raise it up. But start mm. reaching out to uh, people and the more whenever you're reaching out to talk to someone where you're not feeling like I need this job or I need to, you know, get access to this, then it might feel easier for you to reach out because mm -hmm. then you don't feel like you have a hidden agenda and you're really just trying, you're just curious. And if you're in STEAM, chances are curiosity is what <laughs> led you to these fields. And yeah. so you can just see it as like a project that you have where you're just trying to find out more about a person or what their job is like or, or whatnot without that maybe hidden agenda that's adding all of this pressure um, mm -hmm. into making you feel, you know, uh, anxious about reaching out, like you're trying to get something out of them. And so then from that, you'll have uh, all of a sudden, the moment you are looking for that job or whatnot, you can actually go back and see, like, let's say over the year you did one a month, that's 12 people that you've now met that are, you know, <laughs> maybe in this industry that you can reach like back out to. like this quantitative. Yeah. And then you just say, hey, I, I spoke to you in January, had a great time, you know, learning more. I'm actually now starting to think about this area. Do you have any ideas or recommendations? And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, once you've started to talk to multiple people and more and more, it, it might just feel easier to reach back out the second time once you do have that ask mm -hmm. than that first time around where it might feel a little bit uh, more pressure and then again if you're in these law and so that's like emailing which might be a little bit easier but if you're in a larger environment with a lot of people I think that's when when you're introverted and sometimes also when you're extroverted can be intimidating when there's so many people around you can do you know like pre-work first of all um, you can team up with someone where you know you have a conference buddy or something like that where you're two people approaching so you might not feel you know as worried about approaching with one person um, you can reach out ahead of time to people who you're interested in in meeting with um, where you can say hey I'm really looking forward to meeting you I'd love to schedule some time and now you have that person alone or you've already done the scary part of introducing yourself virtually and then in person it might feel like oh you're just meeting this person that you've, you already know because you've already talked to them so you can do little things like that that like decrease that barrier that makes things scary um, by just planning ahead and being very thoughtful about how you're approaching this person and then asking a lot of questions. Uh, you know, as someone who's likely curious, if you just go in and start that conversation by just, you know, asking something like, 
what excited you the most about the conference or you know how are you enjoying this conference and then work and then having the discussion just build it's not you you don't have to come in and say hi my name is blank and I would like a job right it's just uh, you can just like ease into it where it might not feel as um overwhelming yeah start with the weather (laughs) start small now I think I mean the main take-home points it sounds like to me is you know be brave be courageous and it's it's okay not all the not all the feelers will come back like positive sometimes they'll be like I'm not really I'm not interested in talking to you and that's okay too you know other people have the right to say no (laughs) but um it, it is work right like networking is not just this thing that you know um just kind of falls into your lap you do have to put a little bit of effort in um and theoni has like actually like, it sounds like you're very quantitative it's like you one person a month and then you have 12 at the end of the year you've built your network in one year that's amazing you know you can you can be like theoni have so like she, a set plan numbers and strategies have like checkbox yes you can have like statistics and a number of failures and success like you, can, you can do that you know you can be like more like free-spirited and just be like i'm just gonna go to this conference and at this conference i'm just gonna go for it just talk to everyone you know i'm not suggesting you have liquid courage but maybe sometimes at a conference you go to the happy hour get a little bit of a little bit of an alcohol beverage in and then you feel a little looser and you can talk to people or maybe you need your friends to help you you know um there are many things that you can do to feel comfortable enough to you know take the risk and meet people out there because something that's been said a lot of times is you know, there are a lot of people who want to help. There are people like Theoni and Anita who are like eager to be supportive and helpful and excited to see you succeed. So, you know, there are people out there who are ready and willing to be your network. So, um, well, that was so much fun and informative and helpful. And I'm so grateful that the two of you were able to join us today. And I hope our listeners feel empowered to go out there and start just building their network. So for more resources in our directory of Steaminists, please visit our website and I'll see you all next week. Steam the Podcast is brought to you by RSS.com. We're produced by Brian Kelly and Christina Cho with help from T. Badri, Naomi Phillip, Emily Chu, and Sandhya Pabakaran. Our engineer is Brian Kelly at Echo Station Studio and original music is by David James Pugo. If you like Steam the Podcast, please share it with your friends. Let them know that they can subscribe to Steam the Podcast on RSS.com Community, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. For resources in our directory of Steaminists, check out our website at projectsteamed.org. Thanks for listening and see you all next week.